Welcome to the Wealth Trifecta, where we explore all things health, wealth, and happiness. This podcast is designed to uplift and ignite your journey to financial independence and lifestyle design. I'm your host, Holly Morphew, personal finance expert, accredited financial counselor, and life enthusiast. True wealth is the convergence of health, happiness, and good fortune. And what I love most about wealth building is that it doesn't matter where you start. What matters is that you start. Wealth is for everyone, and that includes you. Hello, wealth builders. Welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Trifecta podcast. I'm your host, Holly Morphew, and I am so, so excited to bring you today's episode. This episode is a, let's call it a happiness episode with Carrie Quinn, who is the author of Better Boundaries. And I chose her to be a guest on this podcast because she is a shining example of what it means to have good boundaries in your life and use them to create a life of design. This conversation led us into some really fun places. We talked about yin yoga and her experience as a yin yoga teacher, how this is really a an opportunity to facilitate a pathway to your own experience. And I just love this idea that we are in charge of the experiences that we have in our life. We talked about the power of surrender and how much healing is available to us when we surrender to co-creating with others who can support us on our path and the value of creating a higher counsel for any goals that you're aspiring to achieve right now. One of the questions I asked her was related to how do we say no in a kind and graceful way? You know, because really this journey that we're on is about honoring ourselves and really speaking into what is true for us. And I was delightfully surprised at her response, which you're going to hear pretty soon. But ultimately, she encouraged us to lean into what our yes is before we start saying no. And we talked about how this has been a challenge for me to really tap into what is it that I desire and what a fun exercise to go through, you know, really asking yourself, what is it that I truly desire in life? Not just a goal or something that we want to manifest, but what kind of experiences do we desire to have? And so I love that lesson of learning what we want to say yes to before we just start saying no. We also talked about, you know, when it comes to money, how can we create a better relationship with money through this embodiment of yoga, which truly the embodiment of yoga is a union between our body and our heart and our soul. Her advice, her recommendation, her teaching was to choose something where your relationship with money is mirrored in some other relationship in your life and to start with that small relationship. Start leaning into how we can honor ourselves in those smaller relationships as opposed to starting with that big, how do I create a big abundant relationship with money? Well, how do we create an abundant relationship with the way we receive? Or when we go to the grocery store, are we choosing things for ourselves, or are we choosing things simply for other people, which could potentially lead to resentment? And so what a fun conversation to have from a true professional in her field, Carrie Quinn. She teaches humans how to talk and work with one another. Her courses will provide you with tools to improve all your relationships and strengthen your communication in the corporate environment. She has an academic background in cultural and medical anthropology and two decades teaching the Eastern philosophical wisdom of yoga. Carrie brings humor and perspective, and her teachings stick. You know, every class includes authentic laughter. I know this from my own experience taking one of her classes, and deep learning that will transform the way you relate to time, money, technology, and most importantly, other people. I will put all of the links to her book and ways to book classes with her if you are in the Denver area. 
and all of the other amazing resources that she provides. You'll find them all in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. So without further ado, let's go to the show. Carrie Quinn, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks so much, Holly. It's so lovely to be here. I was listening to a couple of episodes. I was like binge listening (laughs) (laughs) over the last couple of days on my drive to and from the yoga studio. So I will introduce myself. I'm the director of yoga at White Lotus Therapeutics, which is a yoga studio in Denver, Colorado. And that's sort of the the way that I anchor myself in the world because most people know what a yoga teacher is. (laughs) And so it's easy to say that's who I am and that's what I do in the world. If I have more than just a three floor elevator ride to take with somebody, I will maybe tell them more and say that I think of myself as a medical anthropologist. So I'm somebody who studies behavior and usually behavior as it relates to our health and our concepts of health and wellness and what that means to us, which is why you can imagine that's not the first way that I introduced myself, <laughs> but most of the way that people overlap and intersect with me is through the practice of yoga. So I have taught yoga since 1996 before it was a very popular thing to engage in. And now there are mats and pants and teacher trainings and all kinds of special things that you can do and buy and be in the world of yoga. But I came to it before I even went to college. And at the time, that was an unusual sort of thing to do. And from there, I have kind of branched out in different parts of my business. And so I have spent a lot of time working with pregnancy uh, and postpartum and birth work. And I teach people how to teach yin yoga, which is a very mellow, I'd say it's like the yoga of elephant seals, where you can imagine you just lay on your side. And then after a few minutes, you flop over and lay on the other side. And it was actually during a training where I was teaching people yin yoga at the end of the training, we go around the circle and I ask everybody, you know, what's your nugget? What's the thing that you are taking away from this training? And of the 24 people in this training, more than half said the word boundaries. And I paused for a second, turned to my colleague and I said, did I mess up? Did I, <laughs> did I accidentally teach the wrong curriculum? And, and I got a little bit of insight from some of those students. And they said, you know, we learned yin yoga. We learned how to teach yin yoga, but we also learned boundaries from the ways that you spoke, from the ways that you worked with us, from the ways that you offered insight into the teaching. And from there, the boundaries curriculum was was born. So it was almost by mistake, but it's an authentic part of what I do is help people understand their concepts of how they fit into the world and how they relate with people relationships, businesses, time, and money. And so that's part of why I imagine that we are sitting down together today because our relationship with money is just one of the facets of the relationships that we have in our lives. So true. I want to go a little deeper into what was it that led you to yoga at such a young time? And I'm trying to think my first yoga class was when I was in college. And so that would have been the early 2000s. And I feel like yoga was just starting to come onto the scene then. So in the 90s, it was definitely early. What was it that led you to to want to practice yoga? So I've actually practiced yoga since 1985. It was part of my elementary school curriculum. And so my kindergarten teacher taught us yoga and it wasn't just yoga shapes, asana, movement practice. It was ideas from the Bhagavad Gita and lots of other aspects of yoga that are perhaps less visually interesting or less popular now, gaining in popularity might be (laughs) talk about that. Uh, And so it was actually when I was in high school that my PE teacher injured herself and she was supposed to be teaching a dance class. And she didn't want to hire a sub. She didn't want to miss out on her regular income and hire a sub. And so she asked the class, does anyone here know how to teach dance? And I said, no, but, but I could teach yoga. And she was like, great, sold. (laughs) So I started teaching my classmates a yoga practice so she could be there and supervise and make sure that, you know, we were behaving or 
moving or whatever the, the reason for the paid supervised teacher to be there. And I started teaching what I had learned. And so that's really where it came from. And I've tried pretty relentlessly to walk away from teaching yoga <laughs> and I end up circling back pretty consistently. So in college, I ended up teaching some yoga after college. And then finally, I think in 2007, I was chatting with a friend and he said, why don't you just teach? Why don't you just do it? So I started the path to teaching more full-time. And in 2011, I left my corporate job and entered the world of teaching. And so I've owned and managed a variety of studios and um, worked with companies that do travel and all different kinds of things as I have lived the last couple decades. Isn't it incredible how our lives will naturally align to allow us to do the thing that calls to us? It's the, it is the thing. It is not a thing that I thought, oh, this will make me famous or wealthy or popular or anything. I didn't have, uh, I've never thought of yoga as the mechanism to go there. And yet, no matter what I seem to do, even in the corporate world, I would travel to a conference and they would offer yoga in the morning and the yoga teacher would be sick or injured or not show up. And then there I would be, you know, sidestepping back into it. And so that has happened over and over again. And so I teach rather than running away from it. (laughs) And I've taken one of your classes. My sister and I took a class a few months ago and it was wonderful. I love your, your way, which is in my experience, strong and gentle at the same time. I wonder if, and and I would love for you to answer this if you can, what was it about your teaching of that yin class that the word boundaries came up for so many people? Do you know what that was and how your your method or the way that you teach might be unique to you? I think so. This has come about, I think, as the intersection of the work that I've done. I often say that in the teaching of yin, the teacher is more a midwife than a master. And I think that's the paradigm that is so different. There's this idea of mastery, which some people appreciate. There are some beautiful aspects of mastery and there's some problematic aspects of mastery. Midwifery is a very different model. Rather than being in charge of a birth, a midwife is there to offer guidance, support, and wisdom, but not to center themselves in the experience. They are there truly to be on the periphery and effectively hold the space. And I think that I bring that approach to teaching as well. In the in a classroom, your experience is your experience. It's not mine. I'm there to facilitate a pathway, a methodology through the class, through the practice. And, and I will hold some boundary there. However, it's your practice and your experience. And I, I don't want it to be about me. You know, I, I want people to leave at the end of the class feeling like they've had an experience they've related to themselves, not that they think I'm cool or necessarily want to follow me on Instagram, you know, maybe they do, but (laughs) that's, that's not my objective. I love that outlook. It, It makes me think about the very first yin class that I ever took, which I believe was in 2015 or 2016. And at that time, my life was just coming undone. And my friend who is a yoga teacher invited me to her yin class And I said, well, what is yin yoga? And she said, oh, well, it's basically seven different ways to lay on a pillow. (laughs) And I thought, okay, I can do that. And I went with an open mind and an open heart. And my experience in that class, I just had this transformational experience where she had, this just kind of goes back to her being a guide and being supportive of my own journey in that class. But I remember her saying, bring to mind a color I had been feeling really, really sick. Like I said, I was going through a lot of stuff in my life and it was starting to impact my physical health. And I was just starting to not feel well that day. And I had said to her, you know, I'm not feeling very good. I don't know if I should go. And when I showed up, I was coughing. I was coughing a lot. And and I just remember that. I remember thinking, you know, maybe I should leave the class. And she encouraged me to just stay and you know, put something over my mouth. And and so I did. I listened and and I sort of surrendered to just being there and letting it be. And when she said, bring to mind a color, the color that came to my mind was was this sapphire blue, like a really dark blue color. 
it's not a color that I, you know, I would normally think, you know, Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, whatever, but not like a dark sapphire blue. And then she said, in your mind, are you picturing an inky, dark sapphire blue? And I just, I think my brain exploded at that point. I was like, we're having some kind of, like, you cannot make this kind of stuff up. And so toward the end of the class, she kind of pulled me aside. She said, you know, I heard that you were coughing and the color blue is representative of the lungs. And that part of our body is representative of grief. I was going through a lot of loss at the time. And I just remember feeling so supported that it wasn't up to me to create some kind of an experience, but it was truly the coming together of a lot of different people in the class, but the teacher and myself and having a creative experience together. And then from there, she recommended some supplements for me to take. Turns out I had bronchitis. I had never heard of these supplements that she recommended but I ended up going to Vitamin Cottage, grabbing those supplements, and like a week, I was totally better. And it was just an experience that I will never forget about the power of yoga, the power of surrender, just how much we don't know that we don't know and how much healing is available to us. Wow. What an experience. Yes. And so thank you for you know giving me the space to share that with you, because when you brought up yin yoga... It just made me think that I never would have gone to the class if, if she had not said that it was this gentle form of yoga. And wow, what an experience I had from, you know, going to the the gentle yoga versus having been a lifelong athlete, always wanting to do the thing that burns the most calories and builds the most strength. And that was exactly the experience that I needed in that moment. Well, and that's what I think is so beautiful about yoga is the practice of yoga is the practice of union. It is not the practice of triangle pose or handstand or child's pose. Those are elements. Those are opportunities. Those are pathways with which someone might take to arrive at a sensation of union or connection, but they're not the whole practice. And I love that yoga is this beautiful buffet of options and this truly a deep and sacred well of philosophy that can be embodied. I think that having an embodied philosophy is truly a beautiful thing and something that so many people in the West are hungry for right now. Yes. Now I discovered your book at White Lotus here in Denver. I saw it on the shelf and my first thought was, okay, here's a local author and yoga teacher who's written a book about boundaries. It's called Better Boundaries. I have to read this book because learning to have boundaries myself has been one of the sort of keys to more peace and fulfillment in my life, but also, you know, let's just say better results when it comes to my own health, wealth, and happiness. And so I'm wondering, Carrie, if you'll share, why did you write the book? Who is the book for? What was your journey to, you know, getting to the point where you wanted to write this book? Wow. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> In some ways, Better Boundaries is a way of taking applied yoga philosophy outside of the context of yoga and applying it in this very unusual culture that we live inside of. The, the North American culture is very different from the culture where yoga grew up and existed. And so I think about the ways that we struggle and I'm always baffled by what we struggle with. And as I was teaching this training to teach other people how to teach yoga, they were, they were remarking about all of these different ways in which I said, when we take a break, these 24 people and me, I'm going to go to the bathroom first. And because it's my break, you can go to the bathroom anytime you want to, but, but the break is actually for me. Uh, and also, if you don't mind holding your questions until we come back. So if you want to ask privately, feel free to jot it down on a piece of paper. I'll leave it at my, my place in the circle, but it's not an invitation to ask me questions. And I think that this just blew people's minds that I had boundaries at all. And then I articulated those boundaries at all. And it helped me to see and realize from my perspective of watching people where they were really struggling. So people seem to struggle saying no 
seem to have a hard time saying no, which is sort of funny because frequently toddlers, that's their first word is no. Uh, so we, we go from being really good at saying no to not so good at saying no to forgetting how to even approach saying no. And so my philosophy of boundaries is a little bit inside out and different from what you might hear with other people. Other people might coach you about how to say no. And what I like to do is encourage people to learn what their yes is. I think sometimes it can be hard to say no when we have no idea what our yes is. So if I use the example of going to dinner, there are two of us, Holly, we've never had dinner together, but I imagine that we could choose a place to have dinner. And rather than starting with our no, I often invite people to start with their yes. Because so frequently when I talk to people and say, we've never had dinner, where would you like to go? They say, well, I don't eat meat or I don't eat gluten or I'm kosher or, you know, they start with their no rather than saying, I'm not sure what I'm looking for today, but something with avocado sounds really good. And starting with the yes and me starting with the yes gives us an opportunity to know where we're going. What can happen is we get in a conversation and you say, well, I don't want to do this. And I don't want to do that. I know for sure. I don't want to go have tacos. I don't want to go do this. And it just shuts down our conversation. It's okay to want, and it's okay not to want. But if we have no idea what we want or need, it's really hard to say no to the thing that's not that. So that's basically the, the underpinning philosophy. And I use an image metaphor that might be helpful. It comes from the deep and sacred well of yoga, but I'm going to borrow a Western visual. The Western visual is a jigsaw puzzle. You've probably done a jigsaw puzzle once or twice in your life, right? And if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle with a toddler, they sometimes take the pieces and try to put them in the wrong places. And when they don't fit, sometimes they get irritated and they might like bite off a part of the jigsaw puzzle piece and try to make it fit or just really smash it down and try to make it fit. And that is what we do in life. We try to fit with a job. We try to fit with a budget. We try to fit with a partner. We try to fit with a family. We try to fit with all of these different things. And instead of knowing our yes and knowing the shape of our puzzle piece, we do these horrible things to ourselves where we tear apart parts of ourselves. We get rid of parts of ourselves or we try to add on and force a fit that doesn't work. Yoga says there's a place for all of us, that each person has an infinitesimally small and yet essential role to play. And it is actually our job in life to figure that out so we can be in the right place. Because if we spend our time in the wrong place, think of the jigsaw puzzle, it screws up the whole puzzle. If you force a fit in one place, that means that it blocks the thing that should have fit there. Mm. And if we spend our time finding the right place, and getting to know the wrong places and saying, oh, this isn't actually the right place for me. This is the right place for somebody with a big blue, a sapphire blue section. Oh, Holly, you have a big sapphire blue section. Maybe you fit over here. You think about that. It actually changes the whole conversation. I love the idea of knowing what it is that we want. You know, what what is it that we desire? And I actually was doing this exercise a couple of days ago. I was kind of making a list of what is it that I'm desiring to bring into my life right now? And I found it to be really challenging. And then I was frustrated by that because I'm thinking, here I am, you know, my mantra everyone knows is life is for living. But yet I couldn't think, you know, of a big goal or a big audacious life accomplishment bucket list goal that was just like off the cuff. And I'm wondering if you could share maybe a practice or a tool that you would recommend for someone to get in touch with what it is that they want or what it is that they desire in their life. Sure. I think there are a couple of things. First, I think that every time you run into the wrong fit, it tells you more about what the right fit would be. So I use the analogy of dating. Think about dating. Maybe it's friend dating. Maybe it's job dating, job interviews. Maybe it's actual romantic dating, whatever that might be. You, you go on a date with somebody or you go into a job interview and I'll just use yoga as the job interview. Okay. You know, we're really looking for somebody who's excited to teach at 6 a.m. Uh, heated class. And if I think, oh no, that is not me. That's good information for me to have. Now I know, oh, Okay, that's not what I'm looking for. What am I looking for? I'm not sure. I know it isn't 6 a.m. 
actually think I like to teach at noon or I like to teach in the evening or I don't care when I teach so long as I can practice before or after. So I want there to be a class right next to it, whatever that might be. I think that what we have to do is get out there and try and be willing to say yes or no and not a critical no, like I hate 6 a.m., but just a, oh, interesting, that that's actually not where my puzzle piece fits. Um, if you think about it, it doesn't have to be a character flaw that means that something isn't a good fit. Do you like sour cream and onions? You might. You probably like them in a certain context. You probably like them in the context of potatoes or potato chips, right? Great fit. Not a good fit in a smoothie. Not a character flaw, just the wrong place, the wrong context, right? So we get really precious about feeling like if we say no, that it will hurt people's feelings or that we'll never have another opportunity. But just imagine the puzzle. If I say yes to the 6 a.m. yoga slot and I'm tired and sometimes I miss class and I'm resentful when I show up, the universe will conspire to make that class a failure on my behalf. Uh, because it was not the right fit in the first place. And if I say, mm, thank you for the invitation, would you please reach out to me when you're looking to fill a noon space because I am looking for a noon space or something else? Not only have I helped myself, but I've helped the potential employer. So that's sort of one piece, the yes and no part. I also think that we don't do a great job of asking the right people for the right kind of help. And in the world of money, you probably hear this pretty frequently that people who are struggling with money ask other people who are struggling with money for advice. Mm -hmm. And that usually doesn't go very well. And the same is true in dating. If people are having a really hard time dating, they want to commiserate with their friends that are also having a hard time dating. They don't go to their friends who have been in long-term committed relationships or successfully dating for a long time. They, they want to like stay in that space. And so my invitation is in every area of your life, no matter what it is, to consider assembling a higher council. And for me, a higher council is a group of people who are a mixture of peers, mentors, and professionals in that area. So there's not gonna be the same person who is gonna give you advice about gardening as they will about dentistry, as they will about financial health, right? You probably have three different sections on your higher council. And inside that section, you need somebody you can commiserate with those peers, people that you can go to and say, Ooh, I'm trying to get better at managing my money and I don't know where to start. And I'm just looking for some partnership in this. Do you want to struggle through this together? Great. Some mentors who might be people they know, they might be books, they might be podcasts. Podcasts, I think are a really beautiful place to be in that mentorship space because you kind of get to know somebody a little bit. Uh, you get to relate to them and hear their ideas and they maybe have a level of expertise and then professionals, right? Maybe you actually want to hire a financial coach or a financial planner or an accountant. Maybe there are somebody there that you need to fill in. And what we do, unfortunately, is we put the wrong people in the wrong places. And so when there's a new area in our life or an area that we're noticing, maybe for you, Holly, it's joy or challenge. Maybe there's an area of your of your higher council, we are looking for a joyful challenge. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. I want my next big audacious goal. I need to find peers, mentors, and professionals who can help me with this. And at first it will seem very strange to be like, this is a weird thing. But if you go out into the world and every time you bump into somebody or every time you interview somebody on the podcast, you say, Carrie, I'm looking for a goal coach. Do you, do you know anything? That lets me say, oh, actually... I listened to this podcast or I read this book or I have this friend or I work with this company and make that connection for you and you can start to fill that in. It's something that we do intuitively in the professional realm. Like usually we don't have the same person garden for us that we do clean our teeth, right? Those are very distinct. But when you get into mentorship and peers, we get really kind of fuzzy and end up sometimes struggling and staying in the struggle. And what that can do is that puts you on the path to finding those folks. And so that means going to yoga where you will cross-pollinate with all kinds of people. It means going out to restaurants or meetup groups or 
gardening clubs or 12-step meetings or faith groups or whatever it is and just cross-pollinating with other people so that you can speak your goals and have other people help you. I love the specificity in that. You know, it doesn't have to be disempowering to not know what it is that you want. It can be an opportunity to create what you call a higher counsel and enlist support. And then the opportunities are infinite. Exactly. And they're not permanent, right? So you might need different people at different points. You think about parenting, you know, parenting a toddler is very different from parenting somebody who is going to college and you might need different people in your higher counsel to help you with toilet training than you do to help you with financial aid applications, right? (laughs) And so we seamlessly do some of those things, but sometimes we notice that, oh gosh, I actually only have professionals and I have one friend and I ask them for help with everything. Or I I don't know where to go and find these other kinds of people. I'm asking the wrong person. Or I get myself into this strange idea of reciprocity. Right? Do you clean your dentist's teeth, Holly? Probably not. Definitely Hope not. not. <laughs> but if I make dinner for you, do you feel some weird sense of commitment or obligation to make dinner for me? Maybe. I love that you're bringing this up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So why can we also think of bigger, think about the ecosystem and say, you know what, Holly, I, Carrie Quinn make excellent salad dressing and that's it. That's literally it. You don't want me to make dinner for you. You want me to bring the salad dressing over. I also don't have a guest room, but I do have an airstream. And so you can go, you know, what if we what if we negotiate some other kinds of ways of relating and you think, well, I don't actually want to go travel in your airstream because I like a lot of running water, but I have a friend that has always wanted to go. And then we make these connections for one another instead of thinking about direct reciprocity and feeling yucky about not being able to reciprocate back and forth. We can offer gratitude and appreciation, and then we can consider the whole ecosystem. Yes. I love that so much. You talked earlier about how boundaries can help us in different aspects of our lives, and you spoke specifically to money. I'm curious what boundaries you have supported other people in creating for themselves to have a better relationship with money, or maybe it's just to be more abundant or prosperous. Do you have any tips or tools or specific boundaries that you've seen that could support people in creating a better relationship with money or prosperity or abundance? Such a good question. So interestingly, in my experience, people relate to various entities and individuals in some common ways. So uh, if you have the same kind of relationship with money, you might have the same kind of relationship with time, or you might have the same kind of relationship with your employer and notice some what I call adorable tendencies that might be problematic from theme to theme to theme. And so in fact, if somebody comes to me and says, I'd really like to improve my boundaries with money, I say, that's great. Let's start with something easier. For me, boundaries, my approach to boundaries is like personal training. I don't work with people who are in crisis, who are really in a terrible place. I work with people who are pretty much okay, kind of like a personal trainer, right? So you go to a physical therapist if you hurt your shoulder, you go to a personal trainer if you want to strengthen your shoulder. So somebody who is okay with money, but would like to be better with money, I say, that's great. Let's look at some other area in your life where you exhibit some of the same tendencies. So overspending or overgiving might be a tendency, right? Feeling like I never have enough. I never have enough. People might have that same tendency when it comes to spending time with their family or taking time for themselves. And so we might look at another area where they're having a similar problem and address that area to build the muscle over there, which they could then use with money. So I'll use a slightly different example because money is such a big conversation. But sometimes people will notice that they have some resentment and that resentment might be around money. It might be around especially pooled money or money that they share in a family. So they might feel obligated to share money with partners, children, parents, et cetera, in a way that feels resentful. Um, And then I will ask them about how they go to dinner. 
How, how do you decide what to make for dinner or where to go for dinner? And they might say, that person who feels resentful about money, well, I never get to choose because my kids only eat these things or my partner only wants that thing or whatever that is. And you hear the echo of that same relationship. There's resentment around food. And so instead of saying, well, let's start with money let's dig into the biggest challenge, let's look at food and let's look at how you choose to go for dinner or how you go to the grocery store. Are you putting something in your cart that's just for you? Could we start there? And as we change that relationship, that change often will flow in the other areas of life, whether it's work or time or money. And so that's that's the way that I like to approach things instead of saying, oh man, we have a big problem. Let's take everything out of the closet and start over. You know, say, let's look at, let's look at another area that might not be quite as challenging and see if we can start there. Oh, it's so empowering and simple. And I love the idea of, okay, let's eat the elephant in small bites. Or let's start with a lower challenging relationship. So maybe the challenge, instead of addressing a challenge head on with your partner without a higher counsel, not ideal. Maybe you start by behaving slightly differently when you um, order coffee and maybe you, you, the barista made uh, not the coffee that you ordered and you might be the person that says, oh, fine, I'll just drink it. If that, oh, I'll just fine, I'll just drink it comes with resentment. It might be worth saying something like, hey, excuse me, this isn't what I ordered. I'm happy to drink it because I don't want to be wasteful, but I also want you to know that it wasn't what I ordered. You didn't hear me. Or you might say, I actually won't drink this because it now contains something that is not something I can drink, right? But you start with these relationships that are, and I, and I think we should be very respectful to baristas. I'm not saying that baristas are people we should be disrespectful to. But if we're having a hard time asserting ourselves or advocating for ourselves in, in any area of our life, we can start with really cursory, like easy relationships, like the barista, like the yoga teacher, like somebody who you run into in the carpool lane or somebody who you cross paths with in your building or at the gym, not the person who's like the big bearer of, of all of the resentment. Yes. And it starts with noticing. Like I can really see how boundaries in yoga are um, interrelated in your life and your work, because as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of us are out of touch with our feelings, whether it's because we're suppressing them, we're ashamed of them, they're too painful. But in my experience and in my own sort of growth and journey, just learning to acknowledge myself in a non-judgmental way, that is the seed of the transformation that I'm desiring. And, and there's challenge in that. I mean, that's a practice in and of itself. Yes. And for some people, starting with money is actually the, the easiest approach if they have other kinds of problems because there are dollars and cents, because there are ones and zeros, because it is a very concrete kind of thing to talk about. And that improving their relationship with money actually can help improve other relationships in their lives. So, you know, if money is the problem, we don't start there. If relationships are the problem, maybe we do start there and see what that looks like and what we can learn about ourselves because we are our own puzzle piece and the way that we fit with certain things is different. And the beautiful thing about becoming aware of any of those challenges, any of those adorable things is that when we change them in one aspect of our life, that's it. We, we don't have to be afraid of them anymore. They when it, when it comes back around, we're like, oh, I've done this. I know how to do this. Yeah. I know how to say, excuse me, this isn't what I ordered. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or, you know, no, I'm choosing to spend my money on something different or no, I'm choosing to keep my money because now I've had a chance to really think about, is this a worthy use of my time or my money? And there's, there's just that little, it's like a stop gap, right? Where it's like, am I doing this? unconsciously because this is a pattern or because I'm feeling pressure or because it's what I'm supposed to do? Or is there another option? And if I choose the other option, am I really just paying more attention to, to myself, to my 
full body yes or my full body no and i love that you brought that brought up that money is a good opportunity or a good place to start with boundaries because you know when i'm working with clients who are you know wanting support with a budget or or overspending or need a spending strategy they realize that there are so many opportunities to stand up for themselves that they've been missing out on because we're just being sort of, it's like, if we don't advocate for ourselves, somebody else is going to advocate for what they want from us or for us. Exactly. It requires us to know and articulate what we want and to also have other parties know and articulate what they want. I mean, this is where resentment is just festers is, is when we don't know what the other people want. Some, some of my clients are people who never assert themselves. Some of my clients are people who assert themselves without realizing that they are constantly over asserting over other people and not requesting that other information. And what's interesting is I think that money is fascinating because the way that we relate to money really can tell us the way that we behave in other areas as well. So I think it's just such a beautiful place for so many folks to start to understand their own tendencies and their own boundaries and what their yes is. If you ask people about investment, I imagine, you know, there was a moment in my life where I thought investment meant retirement account. It meant CDs. It meant, you know, something, an investment. But actually, when you think about how am I investing in myself, in my time, in my family, in my education, in my experience of joy, investment doesn't have to just be those things. Like the practice of investment is actually a beautiful practice. And it can absolutely include retirement savings and it can also include other things, but I love that, that language. I love that word. And I also love the, the word commitment versus obligation. Like I often will ask people, are you feeling committed or obligated to doing this thing? Because a commitment is a very powerful thing. I am committed to my children's health. I am obligated to my children's health. Ooh, that feels different. I'm committed to my financial health. I'm obligated to my financial health. <laughs> yes. One is more one is more open and expansive and exciting. And the other one is the energy is a low vibration. Yes. Yes. Now earlier you mentioned when we were talking offline before we started recording that you have a compromise tool. Yes. So everything inside of Better Boundaries is methodology. I don't tell you what your boundaries should be because I don't know you. Uh, I give you an, a structured approach for how to deal with any life circumstance. And so some unskillful ways that people compromise on, let's say, going to dinner is that we might say, okay, Holly, this week you choose and the next week I'm going to choose. Okay, great. Or Holly, you suggest three restaurants and I'll pick one of those three. Those, in my opinion, are unskillful methods of compromise because if we're deciding what to do, say we have a shared relative and we're trying to support them at the end of their life, I can't say, okay, Holly, you choose how we're going to support this person this time and I'll choose the next time we have a relative at the end of their life. It doesn't work. It's compromise that only works when all the options are good. So the compromise tool that I have constructed is one that scales, that meets you. You practice it going to dinner. And then you have strong muscles when you have to make the harder choices in life. When compromise um, has the capacity to really pull the carpet out from underneath you. Do we move across the country for the partner's job or do we stay? How do we support somebody at the end of their life? How do we make really difficult care decisions for other people? And so the compromise methodology that I've put together is fairly simple. It's a little course that I have on my website. You can, I made a little code for your listeners. Um, if you want, it's code is Holly. Surprise. If you go to cre- createbetterboundaries.com and you click on start with compromise and put in Holly, you'll get the course. And so the course is just me explaining how you go through the tools and we just apply it going to dinner. Just apply it through going to dinner, going on vacation, simple, easy things that you don't need to talk to your therapist about probably. And then I have a couple of interviews that are part of the course. So you can listen to me talking with someone else about a, a real life compromise 
challenge that they're experiencing. And so what I think is really useful about this is it's in Better Boundaries, it's in the course, it's in the workbook. There are easy ways to apply this compromise methodology. But what I've heard from people over and over again is that they practice it going to dinner, they practice it going on vacation, and then they like don't have drama anymore at work or at school or you know, with other family members, because this methodology of compromise really weeds out drama. So I think it's, it's my favorite tool. I love the higher counsel too. And I think they actually go hand in hand. I think that when you're trying to work through an area of compromise that feels challenging, it's worthwhile having an area of your higher counsel that can support you with end of life care or deciding to move across the country or childcare options or whatever that big heavy thing is, more people can be involved in that. But the methodology of compromise is essentially everybody knows and articulates what they want. And then we go from there. Wonderful. Thank you for those tools. And tell us the URL again. Of course, we'll also put it in the show notes. Sure. It's just createbetterboundaries.com. And on the homepage, it'll say start with compromise and it's a, a little free video course that goes really nicely with the book. So it's free with the code Holly. So just type in your first name and you get to try it out and, and see what you think. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie. And what does wealth mean to you? It's such a good question. And I told you I was like binging your podcast in preparation for this. And I heard all of these other folks' answers and I've been thinking about what wealth means to me. To me, wealth is is perhaps my fourth priority. I borrow from the school of Kundalini Yoga, where they talk about happy, healthy, and holy as being like the three things. And for me, I put wealthy at the end of that. So happy, healthy, holy, and wealthy feel important to me. Wealth to me means that I have what I need in order to pay into the ecosystem. It doesn't mean dollars necessarily, but that I have the sleep that I need, that I have the nourishment that I need, that I have the friendship and camaraderie that I need, that I do have the financial resources that I need in order to contribute to the ecosystem rather than being in a place of withdrawing from the ecosystem. It's absolutely fine to receive from the ecosystem. And sometimes there are times in life when we will need to be able to just receive. But for me to feel wealthy feels like I have the opportunity to relate to excess in some way and redistribute that excess in an ethical and meaningful way. That feels so holistic. Carrie, where can people find out more about you? Are you on social media? Where can people buy the book? Do you have kind of a main website that people can find you? I, so it's, uh, I was in one of the episodes that I was listening to, you were talking about streams of income and I have a lot of small businesses. And so I will share with you just my website, which is my name, which is spelled funny. It's K-A-R-I-K-W-I-N-N.com. So because it's tricky and I don't spell either of my names correctly, I, each of my product lines has its own website and I won't share all of that with you. What I'll say is if you want to find more about me, I think the best way to do that and learn a little bit more about all of the things that I do to read, if it feels nourishing to listen to the kinds of perspectives that I offer, I write a weekly newsletter on Substack that's called the virtual latte. And I say, it's the kind of things that we might noodle on over a cup of coffee. And so you can subscribe to that for free. You can subscribe as a paid member and support the ongoing work that I do. But that's probably the the best way to be in relationship with me at this moment. I'm told that some people, and I know this because I've occasionally scheduled the newsletter to go out at the wrong six o'clock when I'm traveling or something like that. I'll get all these messages that are like, where's my latte? 6 a.m. mountain time. Sunday mornings, uh, fresh latte drops into your inbox. So that's the place that I think you're you're most likely to engage and learn more from me. You'll hear my voice and you'll see my writing and um, we can get to know each other in the chat. Awesome. Any final words that you would like to leave our audience with? The thing that I'd like to offer in closing has to do with excess. 
I think very often we become myopic about what excess can look like. We think about only two buckets, time and money. And when we think I can't pay into the ecosystem because I don't have extra time and I don't have extra money, but each of us has a gift, has many gifts that we can bring in. And I was reminded of this when my partner was recovering from a long hospitalization. He didn't have excess time. He didn't have excess money. He didn't have a lot of excess things, but what he had was the ability to see. And he downloaded an app called Be My Eyes that links together people who are visually impaired or blind with people who can see. And as he was recovering, he was able to redistribute the excess of his sight by helping other people do that. And so if you get into this lack mindset, I have no access, I have no access to offer or redistribute, I encourage you to think about all of the things that you do have and what you can share. Maybe it's sight, maybe it's height at the grocery store, maybe it's sending a thoughtful text or an emoji or sharing somebody's heartfelt work in social media. There are so many ways to share access. And I think that when we do that, we shift our mindsets into a place of, as you've mentioned, that abundance and possibility. How important is contribution, to, in your opinion, in for fulfillment or peace or just overall well-being? I think that if we hold on to more than what we need, we block the things that we hope for from coming in. So I, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing to think about, especially with something so concrete as money. But what I have noticed is that when I grasp something, when I really grasp onto something and I don't want to let it go, the moment that I'm able to let it go, that reshuffling can happen outside of me. And the thing that I didn't even know sometimes that I needed will come to me. So if I'm holding on to something out of fear or lack, we're really hoarding anything in that kind of way. When I'm able to let that go, I am then left with a hand that is open to receive the thing that I do need and want. So I think it's essential. Uh, I think that's part of the game. Uh, I think that it's not a, a thing that you finish and that a list where you've crossed off the final thing. I think it's a constant state of personal evaluation and analysis. And what a gift. That's part of being part of the ecosystem. Powerful. Well, Carrie, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to The Wealth Trifecta. If you loved this episode, please give it a five-star review and share it with your friends. Tune in again and find me on the socials at Holly Morph, where I share freebies, events, and inspiration. I always love to hear from my listeners, so please say hello. If you're looking for financial coaching, check out my website at financialimpact.com. Be sure to join my list and stay up to date with all my offerings, including private coaching, small group coaching, financial retreats, and more. Until we meet again, be healthy, be wealthy, and be happy.